All right, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Before I get into my message, I want to remind you, I mentioned it last week, that we have some Advent uh, devotionals that I've created uh, available downstairs. And so um, I don't want us to get lost in the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season, the Advent season. And so I created this devotional for us to be rooted in, in, in prayer. And the daily office, I, I created 50 devotionals over 25 days, so it's comprised of morning and evening prayers to keep us rooted to God in this Advent season. They're downstairs available for $5. They make great stocking stuffers. And so uh, feel free to give it to a friend. There's only about 40 or 50 left. We sold about 600 last week. And so if you want to get them for a friend, for a coworker, for a family member, uh, feel free to grab one of those. If you don't get an opportunity to grab one, you can get a, a download of the PDF as well online for $5, and all the proceeds are going to go to the ministries of New Life Fellowship. And so go on our website, newlife.nyc, if you want to get a handle on it to use, uh, use it on your phone instead of a hard copy there. We're going to be in John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. Over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to be focusing on 1, verse 1 through verse 14. Our, our theme for this series is waiting for the coming light, waiting for the coming light. And my hope is that over the course of the next few weeks, that as a congregation, we would be reading this passage together. We'd be praying this passage, journaling, underlining words, circling words, wrestling with it, journaling. Uh, and so feel free to read other scriptures, of course. But as the church, let's be focused on John 1, verses 1 through 14. There's enough in there for a lifetime. And so we'll be focusing on that. And I want to explore verses 1 through 5 today. And so John chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse number 1, hear the word of the Lord. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. This is the first Sunday of, of Advent. Lord Jesus, we open ourselves up to you. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to receive every gift you have for us this first Sunday of Advent. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Advent is about many things. When we think about Advent, there are many words that come to mind. Advent is about waiting. Advent is about longing. Advent is about hoping. But Advent as well is about a willingness to face darkness, a willingness to face the darkness in our world, a willingness to face the darkness in our lives. The theologian Fleming Rutledge has said that Advent has two faces, the, faces of, the face of light and the face of darkness, the face of holiday cheer and the face of holiday pain. And the reality is we are called to hold the two together in dynamic tension. The two are not mutually exclusive, not contradictory. We're to hold it together. 
And yet it's very difficult for us to face darkness, to face darkness in our world, to face the darkness in our own lives. But the degree to which we are able to look at darkness will often speak to the degree that we will experience light. And yet darkness is hard to grasp. Recently, I had a friend who was visiting New York City, and he said that the first thing he was going to do as a tourist was to visit the 9-11 memorial. And when he said the 9-11 memorial, I was jolted for a second because I realized that I'm a native New Yorker, I've been here my entire life, and I have not been to the 9-11 memorial or museum. And I began to think, why is it that I have not gone to the 9-11 memorial? And I've talked to some friends and some family members, asked, have you been there? And they said, no, I, I, I haven't been there either. Certainly there are many people who have, and yet there are a lot of people from New York who have not. And as I began to think, why haven't I gone to the 9-11 Memorial Museum, I realized it's very simple. I don't want to face darkness. I was here in the city. I don't want to face the darkness. I don't, want to, I, don't want to, I, want, I don't want to come up close to the pain and suffering to relive the moments. And many people are the same. They say, I've been there. Why should I want to relive it? There was an article that was out talking about the museum and the memorial, and it was about ask a native New Yorker, is it right to visit the 9-11 memorial? And there was some debate going back and forth on this article and other articles, and many people say they've refused to go because it's too difficult to face the darkness. And yet, this is the problem. It's a cultural problem, a societal problem, an individual problem. The holiday spirit around us would very quickly numb us to the reality of the world. But this is what I want you to see on this first Sunday of Advent. That until we face the darkness, we will not truly understand our need for light. And this is the paradox of Christian faith. That we come into the light only when we throw ourselves into darkness. And when we refuse to throw ourselves into darkness... Interestingly enough, we end up remaining in darkness. I heard it said this way, that that the surest and fastest way to get to hell is to refuse to go there. And what I'm talking about is the the, the fastest way to, to, to remain in darkness is to refuse to go to the places of darkness. Because if Christian spirituality is anything, it is about living in reality. And as we plunge ourselves into even our own darkness, we find glimmers of God's light sprouting in our midst. Our resistance to facing the darkness of our world, of our city, of our families, of our church, of our own individual lives can be very difficult. And yet in our text this morning in John chapter 1, John reminds us that that as people of God, we can live with great hope in the face of darkness. In our text, St. John begins with words that sound very familiar. It's impossible to miss the connection. John begins his gospel with three words, in the beginning. And those words are not original to John. Those words come from another place. The Bible begins with those three same words, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. We must see from the very opening lines in the Bible, in the beginning, what we see is that these words are not given for the sake of scientific explanation. The creation story in Genesis is not intended to be a presentation on science. The creation story in Genesis very simply wants to establish a theological truth that very simply when God speaks, nothing can stop his word. Whenever God speaks a word, nothing can stop it. God said, let there be light, and light appeared. There was no vote. There was no committee. There was no conversation. God said lights and light appeared. When God speaks a word, there's nothing anyone can do about it. This is what a centurion understood in the New Testament. A centurion who had a very sick daughter. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my daughter is sick. Can you do something about it? And Jesus says, I'll come right over. The guy says, you you don't even have to come. You can just say the word, and if you say it, my daughter will be made well. And Jesus said, I've never seen this faith before. Maybe Jesus saw that the man saw Jesus, and he thought about Genesis. And he said, the same God who spoke the world into existence is now walking right in front of me. Send the word when God says a word. There's nothing anyone can do to stop it. All that's good news, brothers and sisters. Because some of us need a word. Some of you, you came into church today, you need God to speak a word in your life. You need God to change something in your life, a situation, a circumstance. And as people of God, we say, Lord, speak. And when you speak, there's nothing anyone can do about it. And so John begins in the beginning. He makes a direct connection with Jesus in the book of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When you see John 1, John is giving us a behind-the-scenes look. In Genesis, it just says, in the beginning, God, but John wants to let us know that there was an active agent in creation. John is opening up for us already Trinitarian theology. That God mysteriously is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he's letting us know that when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus was more than just a human being. In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The one who flung the universe into existence is none other than Jesus Christ. And John is letting us know from the very beginning of his gospel that Jesus is more than just a human being. In this one passage, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John gives three theological truths about the existence of Jesus, the identity of Jesus. In this one verse, you can write hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of pages of theology. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What John is saying, he's minimally saying three things about Jesus. He's talking about the preexistence of Jesus. That when you see Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus didn't just come into existence when he was born. That Jesus existed as the Word before he came into earth. The preexistence of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. 
The word was with God. John is writing about the coexistence of Jesus with the Father. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Here we have, again, beautiful Trinitarian theology, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-existent. And then he says, and the word was God. In other words, we talk about the self-existence of Jesus. No one brought Jesus into being. He existed from all eternity. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The pre-existence of Jesus, the co-existence of Jesus with the Father, the self-existence of Jesus. The Nicene Creed, one of our ancient creeds that the church holds on to, said it this way. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. John, from the very beginning of his gospel, is letting us know Jesus is more than a miracle worker. He's more than a healer. He's more than a rabbi. He's more than a teacher. He's more than your buddy. He is the Son of the living God, God of God, light from light. This is the one we worship. And John is laying it out for us right in this text from the beginning. John begins by talking about the identity of Jesus. And after these verses, John begins to offer similar language again to Genesis. He starts talking about darkness. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. In Genesis, the phrase that's important to note is the earth was formless and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. That's how Genesis begins. The earth was formless and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. The Hebrew writers would use a particular phrase to explain the earth being formless and void and darkness on the face of the deep. The Hebrew word for that is is, is tohu wabohu. And you don't have to be a Hebrew scholar to know this doesn't sound good. This does not sound good at all. Tohu wabohu. From the very beginning in Genesis, we see a problem. Darkness, formless, void, chaos. And it is into that word that God speaks a word. It is into that world that the word comes on the scene. The opening pages of the Old Testament begins with darkness. The beginning of the Gospel of John, we see the same thing, darkness. It's actually a theme in the Gospel of John, of darkness. It comes up nine times. When Nicodemus comes to see Jesus, he comes at night in darkness. We see the theme repeated nine times over and over, the contrast of light and darkness. And when John writes about darkness, he's talking about a world that's out of sync with God. A world that's out of sync with God. A world that is stained by sin. When I talk about sin in this context, I'm not not talking about it as an act that we do. I'm talking about it as a condition of the world. When I talk about sin in this context, I'm not talking about the words that you uh, spoke to someone when they cut you off on Queens Boulevard, on the LIE, and and some choice. I'm not talking about that sin. I'm not talking about the falsehood that we might have spoken last week. I'm talking about the condition of the world, stained in sin, out of sync with God. When John talks about darkness, he's talking about that reality that the world, apart from God, is out of sync. Something is wrong. And we see this everywhere. Our ability to be honest about darkness is not about being pessimistic. It's about living in reality. And if Christian spirituality is anything, it's living in reality. I think about the dark places people are in. 
in our church. Over the past month, I've been meeting with new lifers. And every time I meet with someone, I often ask a question. Two questions, really. What's impacting you most in this season? And how are you feeling about it? It's amazing how those two simple questions begin to open up pain, open up suffering, open up distress, open up depression, that people can say, this is what's happening in my life. I think about the darkness of a recently married couple in our church who only after months of being married wonders, will we still make it? The darkness of a person in financial trouble with no job in sight. The darkness of a family having to work through mental illness of a family member. The darkness of wrestling for years with depression. I think about the darkness in our world, the darkness that exists in a hate-filled world around politics. The darkness of poverty, the darkness of war, the darkness of homelessness. The darkness of violence, the darkness of mass shootings, the darkness of terrorism. But as Christians, we're not just here to locate and identify the darkness out there. Christians are notorious for that. For many Christians, the darkness is always out there. The world is so dark. But in Advent, we dare not just locate darkness out there without also locating the darkness in here. There's darkness out there and there is darkness in here. No one has summed it up better than Dostoevsky in his great novel, The Brothers Karamazov, where he writes very simply, God and the devil are fighting there. And the battlefield is the human heart. We all have to wrestle with our darkness, every single one of us. The darkness of our twisted desires, the darkness of our rage, the darkness we experience from wounds in childhood, the darkness of our emptiness and the ways that we have used uh, coping mechanisms, addictions, technology, substance abuse to numb our pain. We all live in some form of darkness. And Advent reminds us that our world, our city, our families, our very lives are often overtaken by powers of darkness. And I've been thinking about darkness in my own life. Over the past few months, I've been wrestling with God in prayer, locating areas of my own darkness. And I've been in great reflection, thinking about my reaction to things. And I've located the ways that darkness in me, the darkness of my own fear and anxiety and how I'm driven by my fear and anxiety in very subtle ways to make decisions. The darkness of anxiety that comes, that I don't, I'm not making a decision out of love, I'm making a decision out of anxiety and fear. And the ways that get so pervasive in our lives, and the ways that it's very subtle in our lives. And so I've been paying attention to my reaction to things, my perception, my reaction, my interpretation, and the stories that I tell myself. And it became pretty clear last week as I've been doing this work trying to, Lord, would you shine your light in my own darkness? I had a moment of revelation last Tuesday. Last Tuesday, two days before Thanksgiving, we had planned, my family planned to take a trip to North Carolina for Thanksgiving. 
Rosie and I and the kids, we were going to drive down to North Carolina. My, 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 my mother and sisters were going to drive up from Florida. We were going to meet in the middle and meet at my cousin's house to have dinner and just have a few wonderful days together. We planned this for some time. On Tuesday morning, our nine-year-old daughter had a fever. And Rosie was a bit concerned and a bit anxious and said, hey, let's take Karis to the doctor Tuesday morning so we can just make sure we can get clearance because we were going to drive down. And so I take her to the doctor on Tuesday morning. The doctor checks her. Whenever Karis gets a cold, it triggers her asthma. Oh, she needs some breathing treatments and all that there. And so the doctor said, if you do the treatments, you should be fine to take a trip there. I said, perfect. I told Rosie, we're, we're good to go. The doctor cleared us. About five minutes later, Rosie was still a bit anxious, and Rosie says, I don't think we should go. I'm anxious. And at that moment, I'm paying attention to my reaction, and my reaction at that moment is I'm angry at her. I'm frustrated with her. We planned this for a long time. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm 30 minutes away from her, so she sends me. I'm thinking, this is bad. I know EHS is all about embracing limits, and this is no time to embrace limits at all. We need to go. We better go. Push through, woman. Push through. We we better go. And so I'm irritated with her. I'm angry. Now, good thing she didn't say that to me. When I was home, a big mushroom cloud would have just explained. So you would have seen like a World War III in our bedroom there. And so I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm triggered, but I've been paying attention to my reactions. I've been paying attention to my interpretations. I've been paying attention to the stories I tell myself. And I started asking myself, what's the real issue here? What's really happening in my soul? Where do I need the light of God to come in a little bit? Am I, am I really just bothered with my wife right now? Or is there something else? And as I'm driving home, I had about 30 minutes to ponder this and reflect on this. I realized I was very honest with myself. And I thought the issue is not her limits. The issue is my fear that I have to call my parents <laughs> and let them know we can't make it. And anxiety is welling up inside of me. I have to call my cousin. And say, I, I, I know you prepared all that stuff, but we can't make it. And so on the surface, I'm, I'm angry at her limits. But in reality, I'm afraid of making this kind of decision. And so for 30 minutes, I'm driving home and I'm, Lord, I'm saying, Lord, I've identified it. This is the issue. Now, I, Lord, and I resolved in my own soul. When I got home, I said, if, if she wants to stay... We will stay. If she feels that strongly about it, and I got home, I was already a bit free. I said, I'll have to make a hard phone call. I'll have to do what I have to do. But this is my wife. This is my daughter. I'll have to do what I have to do. I got home. I sat with Rosie, knee to knee, eye to eye. She's sharing her own anxiety. In the past, I would be so triggered. And I'm listening. And I thought to myself after the conversation, I said, honey, if you don't want to go, and I really meant it. I said, we won't go. And for the, we've been married 12 years. I believe that this was truly the first time that I've really listened <laughs> to my wife. Truly believe it. Now, I'm talking about listening in a time of high anxiety. 
I can listen to you while we're eating ice cream. That's no problem. What do you want to say, babe? I'm just saying, what do you want to say? But in times of high anxiety, can I truly listen? Can I truly? And I was, I was able to be there because I was recognizing the darkness in my own soul and what God needed to do. I sat with her. I said, listen, if you don't want to go, we talked about it for 15, 20 minutes. And she said, you know what? Let's go anyway. I said, thank God. Thank God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord knows I didn't want to make that phone call. Lord, I would have done it, but Lord knows I didn't want to do it. And I thought for that moment, there's so much darkness in me. Fear, anxiety, you, you, you name it, there's darkness inside all of us. But in that moment, I was letting the light in just a little bit. And God begins to offer joy and freedom. Now, for me, it was, a, it was a major breakthrough for me. And I'm experiencing in my own life, in this season of mine, a little bit of what John writes in this verse, that certainly it gets dark, but the light shines in the darkness. The best word I can give you today is found in verse 4 and in verse 5. In verse 4 and verse 5, it says these words. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I want you to see something powerful. Last night I was studying this. I was writing on this. I was reflecting. I was so excited to share this because John does something very uh, subtly. He does something but powerfully. John, up to verse 4, has been writing in the past tense. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of humankind. But then John gets to verse 5, and the past tense turns into the present tense. The present continual tense, where he says, the light shines. He goes from the past to the present. The present continual. The light shines, here it is, and keeps on shining. The light is always shining. I love that John didn't say, and the light once shined. He says, no, no, no. The light keeps on shining. And that's a word we all need because darkness keeps on coming, but the light keeps on shining. You look at the news, the darkness is still there. But listen, the light is still shining. It's a present continual tense. When Jesus Christ came, when he died and resurrected, the light shines in the darkness. It keeps on shining. And the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. Why? Because it keeps on going. It's this indefinite, perpetual, nonstop motion of light that continues to progress, that continues to move forward. And sometimes we can't see it in the world, but this is the truth of Scripture. His light shines and keeps on shining. And the darkness has not overcome it. Another phrase is the darkness cannot comprehend it. The darkness does not know what to do with it. Satan doesn't know what to do with the light of God. 
He can't rationalize it. He can't compute it. He can't comprehend it. He doesn't understand what God is doing. The, the word shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Another word is the darkness has not extinguished it. And when John writes this, he's not talking about light in any kind of general sense of the word. He's talking about it with, with particular language. There's a particular light. In our society, when, whenever we see terror, whenever we see tragedy strike, someone will get up on a press conference, someone will be interviewed, and they'll say really good words. They'll say, they'll, they'll refer to the scripture. And they say, it's dark out there, but the darkness will not overcome our light. And what they mean by light is the goodness of humankind. But when John writes about light, he's not talking about our goodness. He's talking about Jesus. The light. He is the light. The light, Jesus, shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Nothing can overcome his light. But here's the thing. It is possible, even though the light is shining, to still live in darkness. It requires us to open ourselves up to his light. Darkness is anywhere in our lives where we have not given God access to bring his light. The light is shining, but it requires us to open ourselves up to it. Last week, we, we, we were driving down to North Carolina. And it took us two and a half hours to get out of New York. A lot of darkness on the Belt Parkway. <laughs> and after driving a number of hours, we, we get to around Alexandria, Virginia. We drove about seven, eight hours. I ate at Cracker Barrel for the first time. I was like, what is this place here? Why are they selling all these stuff here? What is this about? And after about seven, eight hours of driving, I was exhausted. It was late. I said, let's find a hotel. Let's just sleep overnight, and then we'll wake up first thing in the morning and drive the rest of the way. And so we get a hotel. And you've been in hotels before. Hotels have some really thick curtains that can conceal light. And so we get to bed around 10 o'clock, 10.30 or so, and we just close the curtains. And the curtains are so thick, you don't know when morning comes. I'm going somewhere with this. I woke up in the morning and it was dark in the room, but the light was shining, already shining. And I didn't know it was shining until my son Nathan decided to go by the window and peer the curtain open just a little bit. And he just opened it up just a little bit. And the, the, the little bit that he opened up, light just flew into the room. Turn the curtain off, son. What are you doing? It just shone in the room. And as I saw the light come in in a room of darkness, I thought, that's what I was looking for. I was thinking about John 1. I was thinking about verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I thought, this is exactly what I'm looking for. I said, son, open it just a little bit more. And he opened it up just a little bit more. And all of a sudden, all it took was a little crack in the darkness for the light to overtake the entire room. And I thought, that's Jesus. 
All he's asking for is for us to peer, peel back the curtain of our lives just a little bit. And as we open it just a little bit, when we begin to ask for a little bit of help, when we begin to say, be, become a, a little bit vulnerable, when we begin to open ourselves up, our addictions, our fears, our anxieties, our troubles, and, and say, Lord, I'm going to open up just a little bit, his light begins to shine and darkness cannot do anything about it. How is it possible, brothers and sisters? The light is always shining. And it is possible for the light to be always shining and for us to be always living in darkness. And Jesus, he's, open, he's inviting us to open ourselves up to his love. Listen, God's love, God's light is never coercive. It'll, it'll, it's never manipulative. God will never force his light on you, force his love on you. But he asks just a little bit. Can you open it up just a And as we begin to open our lives up to God just a little bit, his light begins to course through our very lives. Some of you, you're in marriages. That is darkness. Married five, ten. You're just existing. You're roommates. And God wants to move you beyond roommates to experience his life. To experience his life. But, but it means opening yourselves up a little bit to his light. Some of you, you've been battling addictions by yourself for a long time. Trying to figure this thing out. Relapsing over and over and over again. Doing it on your own strength. But God is saying, would you, would you open up the curtain just a little bit for my light to just peer through? Some of you, listen, you've been marked by childhood trauma. Stuff that happened to you at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old that is shaping the way you see, that is shaping the way you react, that is shaping the way you interpret life events, that is shaping the way you tell stories to yourself. For years, decades, I, I know what it's like to live like this. I'm, find, I'm trying to find my way out of this thing. But all it takes is just a little bit of light to pierce through the darkness of human existence. And so Advent offers us a few invitations, a few invitations. And I want to share... Four very simple invitations, and then we'll take communion together. Advent invites us to identify the darkness in us. Where are the places of suffering, the places of unhealed pain, the places of addictions, the places of helplessness, the places of despair in your life, not in your neighbor's life, in your life? What keeps you up at night? What do you fear? What's the darkness in you that Jesus wants to heal? Advent invites us to identify the darkness in our own lives. Advent invites us to locate the darkness around us. In your workplace, there's darkness. In your school, there's darkness. In your neighborhood, there's a lot of darkness. There are people who are suffering around you. And God is inviting you to locate the pain around you to be a source of light for those who are in darkness. We are called in Advent to resist the ways of darkness. If we're going to follow Jesus into his light, which is why Dr. King said along these lines, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. We are invited to resist the ways 
of darkness. And we are invited not to fear the darkness. Some of us say, if I, if I peel the curtain back just a little bit, I'll begin to see things I don't want to see. But, but there's nothing to fear because God wants to offer you life. And there's nothing to fear with the darkness when Christ is pouring in his life. First John says, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The question is, in Advent, are you going to open yourself up to that light? Let's pray together. I want to invite those who are going to be offering the bread and the cup to the tables down below and up top. Where is darkness in your life? Can you locate it? Where is, where are you stuck in sin? Where are you stuck in bad habits? Where are you hopeless? Where are you fearful? Can you name it? And as you name it, can you very tenderly ask God to help you open up the curtain so that his light can come forth? Where is there darkness? We can name it without shame, without fear. Say, Lord, this is where I'm at. God can begin to do his work in us. Lord Jesus, teach us to open ourselves up to you. Your light is redemptive. Your light is restorative. You have healing light. And Lord, may we trust your love. That as we open up areas of darkness in our own souls, that your light would come forth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. I want to invite us to take communion together. I want to lead us in a prayer of confession. And after we pray this prayer of confession, the ushers will lead you. I want to invite you to take some bread. If you're a follower of Jesus, take bread, dip it in a cup, go back to your seat, and just hold it there. Maybe sing, maybe ponder the darkness you're experiencing. And may the bread and the cup be a reminder that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray this prayer of confession, and then we come to the table, then I'll come back up, and I'll lead us together. Together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own faults, in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name.
please come forward. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes as the people of God freely forgiven in Jesus let's all take together
sing through that chorus one more time together. prayer because when you receive prayer you're saying you're pulling back the curtain I need help there's darkness and we're all in the same boat we all have areas of darkness that the light needs to shine in and so when we receive prayer we open ourselves up to the reality of God's light some of you came into church today you're stuck hopeless darkness you're wrestling with and you just need prayer for others in this room you've never said yes to Jesus Christ you've never said Lord would your light fill me would you forgive me and if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ as a Christian as a pastor I don't know if there's any other way to say it you're in darkness if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ you're living in darkness You're living without the life of God. And he wants to pour his life in you through his self-giving love. And so some of you here, maybe you've come to church, but you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said, I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. Be Lord of my life. And if you've never said that, he's calling you. He's calling you to himself. Our prayer team would love to pray for you. And lead you into God's marvelous light. And so for whatever need you have, feel free to come to the altar where the Father is waiting for you with open hands. Next Saturday, we have a class called Waiting in Darkness. It'll be on Saturday morning. And so if you, in a place of darkness, in Advent, in Advent we focus on darkness as we wait for God's light to come. So feel free to come uh, to that information is in your bulletin. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And 
as we open our hands up, this is a posture of saying, Lord, I want to open the curtain just a little bit to let your light begin to flow through. With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, opening yourself just a little bit more to God's light. And may his light flow through you, flow in you, heal you and restore you, renew you and fill you with his peace. And may you offer that light to the world around you. I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful in the light-giving name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Grace and peace.